0: Those two cases, Mt. Gox and Bitfinex, laid the foundation for the advisory work I did, for example, on Celsius. Because in the Mt. Gox case, although 90% of the Bitcoin was missing and creditors got about 10% of the Bitcoin, because it was held for that entire decade, obviously, it became a multi-billion dollar dollar recovery. But the biggest decision was when creditors fought early to keep the Bitcoin and not sell it. And that pretty much made the recovery. Well, if you look at... They didn't dollarize. Yeah, so they dollarized the claim, which is a bit scammy. So you only get 10% of your Bitcoin back. But the Bitcoin was worth so much more because in the whole bankruptcy, they got to ride the upside.
1: Oh, I remember. It was so long ago. All right, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. What is up? I'm your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to another epic episode of The Charlie Shrem Show, where together, you and I, we get to dive deep with some of Bitcoin and crypto's most influential leaders to truly understand how this movement came to be. And I'm really excited today. We have a special guest. He's been on the show. Simon, I think once or twice before. I forget.
0: Yeah, we've done a couple of shows together.
1: Yeah, we've been done multiple shows together, Simon is a big Bitcoin OG. He's been around the the crypto world for a really long time. He's written a phenomenal book called Bank to the Future and has released, I think, like multiple iterations of it. And you're the CEO and co-founder of banktothefuture.com. I'm seeing pitches across all the time now, across my desk, you know, private equity companies that are democratizing finance, offering like secondary shares on private companies. I'm like, Simon did that 15 years ago. These companies are not pioneering. That's what Bank to the Future kind of has been doing. Also, Simon, you took it upon yourself to be the leader of the decentralized Celsius creditor community. And I know as personally, I was a creditor of the Voyager when the FTX Voyager Celsius thing collapsed. Voyager, we never had good community representation or anything, so like thank you for doing that and I think I'm not really sure how things are working out, but let's start, what is the update on all like the collapse of the bankruptcies because I just had a Bitcoin day last week and someone on the panel with me and he was like, yeah, no one will still get involved in crypto because we're all still burnt from all the FTX, Celsius, like Voyager type
0: bankruptcies, but I feel like everyone's kind of getting almost whole at this point, right? So yeah, as as you said, um, because we've been funding companies from right in the early days of Bitcoin, like the Coinbase, Kraken, Bitstamp, Bitfinex's, Ripple Labs, Circle, Blockchain.com, many others, we're kind of at the end of a seven to 10 years where you know whether you're exiting. So we had obviously the IPO or Coinbase, but also companies we invested in. We've done about 100 different deals where people could invest in many of those companies. About 10 of them have gone on to be multi-billion dollar unicorns and others have done well. And others, actually, we had a few scams in there. And one of yeah. those was Celsius. So Celsius, um, Mishinsky came to us. You know, He completely lied about everything about his company. And uh, he actually had lost. It was in 2020. And uh, Heather and us invested in the seed round, and he wanted to pull together his, his uh, customers. Uh, but what he didn't tell us is that he just took over the trading desk. And we didn't find this out until the whole examiner report. Oh, wow. And uh, we only found out like three years later. He took over the trading desk, went short Bitcoin, created like a $15 million bad trade, and then later created a multi-billion dollar hole. So, you know, the financials were never produced during that whole time it was like another Mt. Gox type of situation.
1: Yeah. But there was no hack, but there was like just a bad trade. But it was so early on when Bitcoin was a little bit cheaper that it ballooned into like a larger amount.
0: It it was worse because, you know, he created a token to fill the hole. He took all of clients' money and pumped up $600 million of our money. Then he exited his token and he took all of his money out of the platform. So... He's facing up to 115 years for what he did. So it, it was a lot worse than Mount Gotts, which I put down to kind of incompetent operations in a yeah. time when you know no, no one could operate an exchange then. It was the only real one. So I see them as different things, but different iterations. But bringing it back to the bankruptcy conversation, actually, it was the Mount Gotts lesson and another one we were involved in, which was Bitfinex in 2016 where they lost 120,000 Bitcoin, they were hacked. And uh, those two cases, Mt. Gox and Bitfinex, laid the foundation for the advisory work I did, for example, on Celsius. Because in the Mt. Gox case, although 90% of the Bitcoin was missing, and creditors got about 10% of the Bitcoin, because it was held for that entire decade, obviously, it became a multi-billion dollar dollar recovery. But the biggest decision was when creditors fought early to keep the bitcoin and not sell it, and that pretty much made the recovery. Well, if you look at um, yeah, yeah it didn't you know, dollarize. they dollarized. Yeah, so they dollarized the claim, which is a bit scammy. So you only get ten percent of your bitcoin back, but the bitcoin was worth so much more because in the whole bankruptcy, got they got to ride the upside. Oh, I remember it was so long ago. There was another one with Bitfinex where, um, if you once you hit a hundred percent hold you have an issue because um, the, with Mt. Gox, the reason it took 10 years is because once everyone could be made 100% whole, everyone comes along and sues and says, Well, I'm next in line. I'd like my piece. Sell everyone's Bitcoin and I'll take the upside. And then the shareholders come along and say, Sell all the Bitcoin and I'll take the upside. And so you end up in this multi-year opportunistic legal battle. And so with Bitfinex, we got out before it was 100% whole. And that's pretty much what we did with uh, with these bankruptcies with Celsius. So because we exited before it was a 100% whole and we had the dollarized claim, which was a, a basically he lost 75% of our Bitcoin and crypto, but the price suddenly makes up the difference. And so you've got to get out in enough time in between. And so I took the lessons of Mt. Gox and Bitfinex and really pushed in the court. We have to get out now. There's no time for procrastination. And the judge listens. And so we had a much, much better outcome than, say, BlockFi and FTX that just sold all the crypto right away. It was a really bad situation.
1: So I want to pause right there and introduce Enrico Riboli. You're the driving force, founder and CEO of MintLayer, a Bitcoin layer two sidechain that's enhancing Bitcoin's capabilities. Enrico, welcome to the show. Hi, hi, everyone. You, you were also actually, you were a lead developer at Tether and were was involved back in the day at like one of the part of the development team that was merging from, from when Tether was actually on MasterCoin and, you know, migrated over to Ethereum, which is now pretty much where, you know, USDT pretty much exists. But back in the day, it was on MasterCoin. So it was like kind of the early days. But Simon, I want to bring it back to you for a second, because while I was introducing Enrico, I had a question. Alex Mashinsky kind of did the same thing that Bitfinex did, but the difference is with Bitfinex is when Bitfinex launched their token to fill the hole. Well, Bitfinex was a hack, first of all, but with the with the Bitfinex situation, it was a debt-based token that they launched to prevent them from having to to go into bankruptcy to fill the creditors' claim. They launched a token to fill that gap, but everyone knew about it, and in fact. All the investors who bought it made a lot of money. That token is like made a lot of people money over the years. Everyone who in that Bitfinex hack uh, was made whole. But what Alex did was he he was the one who fucked up, but he also then had the good idea of launching the token. But then because there was no transparency from the beginning, all the agenda of the token and all the backroom dealing and everything, had to, it was always going to be lying, 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 lying all the time. Like it's such a different situation because we want debt-based tokens. Like bankruptcy tokens is cool. It could prevent years of bankruptcy courts from and lawyers from taking money.
0: Yeah, I mean, let me tell you the difference. The difference is Celsius was launched with the sell token, and Majinski would lie to his customers and send you know ask them to drain out their retirement funds, take all of their money, put it into Celsius. He would lose more and more and more of client money. But then he would use it to pump the price of the sell token so that he could fill the hole. Because when he's reporting his balance sheet, he's saying we've got an asset worth $3 billion, which is a sell token, which needed to be discounted like 90% for liquidity because you could never sell that token, sell, sell. And so it was a, it was a deliberate fraud. And then he would use that in order to enrich himself, sell his tokens. But the bit, the whole, all of the Bitcoin and ETH and everything coming in was just, was loss making and he was paying fake yields that had no relation to, um, whether they were making yield or not. So it was a Ponzi that was filled with by valuing a fake token without discounting liquidity. Now Bitfinex, they were a solvent exchange and 120,000 Bitcoin got hacked. So they said, we owe our customers $72 million. We can't can't give them Bitcoin debt because we can't have this increasing debt every time the price of Bitcoin goes up. So they said, we owe you $72 million and we'll give you 72 million tokens. You can keep those tokens and we'll repay you a dollar in the future if you believe in us. Or you can just sell it to someone else and it crashes to like 30 cents. And someone says, yeah, I'll buy a dollar's worth of debt for 30 cents. I believe that Bitfinex can fill that hole. And then they stabilize the price by allowing people to convert. You could buy a a token for 30 cents and convert it for a dollar of equity on Bank to the Future. So they could get a company that was valued at 200 million for like an $80 million valuation company. Or they could keep the debt or they could sell off the tokens, So it was just giving them options. And then eventually they paid down all the tokens, 55 million was converted to debt. The price of Bitfinex shares on our secondary market went from 30 cents to $16. And then they paid out all of their profits as dividends. So the difference was, one was a pump and dump fake utility token to fi- to, to hide a hole. The other was a security token, a traditional financial product. Uh, that you could trade using the fact but it was actually built on top of... Yeah. I think it was built on top of Omni. That was the Omni days rather than you Ethereum days. Yeah. I think it was uh,
2: internal in the platform at the beginning. I don't know if they, Oh, the Bitfinex token, the BFX... The DAP
0: token. No, or it did it did exist? No. It, I think, yeah. I mean, everyone was trading it on Bitfinex, and you couldn't... But then you could mm. take the token over to Bank to the Future and convert it to a dollar of equity. And it was minted on the Omni blockchain, I think. These were like oh, early yeah. real world no, assets.
1: Like, like, that's, that's, that's that, the that whole point. That was the
0: first security token. And it was an incredibly successful security token. It also, you know, you know the whole Crocodile Wall Street thing that came out later, it gave, it, they minted a token that gave people entitlement. If the 120,000 Bitcoins are ever found in the future, you can have some of them. So it's oh, a recovery right token. But the DOJ is holding on to them right now. So we're going to find out whether... Oh, that's cool though. Yeah. Yeah, so they might come back. Thank you
1: for giving me my segue into real world assets, by the way. And I love that the term of the 2024 term for security tokens is like RWAs, but I like it better. And we are seeing like tons of companies that are tokenizing, especially like private shares in in startups and companies like SpaceX and stuff like that that we all want. You see like retail products around that. We're seeing like tons of company do real estate token based products pledging assets, like being able to pledge your Bitcoin for mortgages, even you're seeing a little bit of that on chain, which is kind of cool. But I really think like bankruptcy, debt base, all these type of products that can bring the transparency of above board is my favorite thing. But Enrico, why do you think people are going to launch these things on top of Bitcoin? So
2: Bitcoin is the hardest money we have, right? So I like to think of, you know, putting together things that make sense, right? So Bitcoin yeah. makes sense. Real world asset makes sense. Gold makes sense, in my opinion. It, they need to stay together, right? So it's they need to stay in a in a. If you want a decentralized platform, they need to stay in a in a platform where they are all exchangeable one each other. So I think Bitcoin is the highway, right? The main highway where all this thing needs to transition and move.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I was like actually asking ChatGPT this morning, like now that the Bitcoin ETF is approved, what, what is Bitcoin? Is it, is it money? Is it a commodity? I'm not really sure what it is now. So I was kind of like trying to figure that out. Tell us about MintLayer and why you guys started it in the background. You've been on our show before, actually, now that I'm remembering, I think like a year and a half ago. Yeah, we've been uh, in the show. And actually, after you came on the show, our fund, Drew Adventures invested in, uh, in MintLayer a couple of years ago. So that was really exciting. I can't tell you how many of the, the projects of people we came on the show, we ended up like meeting and, and either investing in or introducing to other other VCs in the space.
2: Yeah, it's been like a long time. We spent a lot of time building. The, um, so the the main reason is that what I just said, right? So I wanted to take the what makes sense and put those all together. And um, I wanted to find a solution that allows the Bitcoin chain not to be congested, not to be touched. So because we know that the space on chain is scarce, like uh, we need to use it carefully, right? Well, yeah, every time. We need a secondary lane, right, for these things. And I think what was missing was a secondary lane with the same characteristics of Bitcoin. So same structure, same model, uh, and a way to make it easy for, you know, to things that are issued on the on the secondary lane easily with uh, main uh, currency. Every time you see ordinals or you see
1: like some popular Bitcoin-related NFT or something that like clogs the main chain, it always ends up clogging the main chain. How will this be different though?
2: Ordinals are existing because of the of SegWit, right? So SegWit is splitting the block in two parts. And basically, you pay the fees only for the first part, the one megabyte, the, well, no one megabyte limit, right? So this is yeah. where the scarcity comes from. And uh, Ordinal are putting the data on the other side, paying just for the uh, part that is on, on, the, on the main side or yeah, uh, an hybrid from that. It's fine. If, as long as the, the, the transaction is valid, I think it needs to go on. The, yeah. There's no way to filter out. All those things, right? You can just keep filtering and filtering, and there is will always be a way to do that. (laughs) Yeah, with MintLayer we did uh, like a, a separated lane for those things, right? In MintLayer we have specifically. If you, you mentioned the NFT, right? So we have an NFT standard. So it's built in. It's not. It's not a smart contract that you have to deploy or something. It's a built-in feature of the sidechain. Obviously, the assets needs to be somewhere else, right? Yeah. Obviously, again, uh, if someone comes on uh, on the mint layer chain and put uh, an image, a picture there, there's nothing we can do to prevent it the standard is made like uh, this like uh, the picture is uh, supposed to be somewhere else i think of the nft as a property certificate for this property right so the, the the picture of the image or the the media right it doesn't matter if you have a million copies of that what matters matter is the certificate in terms of you know valuing that
1: yeah the on that note though a lot of a lot of regulations would require these like real world assets to have, you know, for example, you do KYC on all the token holders. Do you have features like that built in so you can almost like create gates around if you wanted to do regulated tokens or like smart contracts that did, you know, mortgages or something like that? Or even bankruptcy and debt based?
2: You can obviously create a token and ensure that it's only traded between people that is the kyc by the issuer, right? So this is, one of the things that can, one of the main, you know, regulation uh, component of uh, security, this is absolutely possible. So you can issue uh, already from the we are improving that, but uh, already from the uh, start of MintLayer, layer, the, the, uh, from the mainnet, the first version of the mainnet, it can already uh, do that. Simon, you're in the UK right now.
0: Uh, I'm in a little island called Isle of Man. I had to oh leave yeah, UK. I love yeah. <laughs> the Isle of Man. Do people care about
1: the Bitcoin ETF right now in the US?
0: Uh, the ETF is massive news, but it, it, because you said UK, um, you know UK actually made it where you can't actually put the Bitcoin ETF in um, certain retirement products. So, um, yeah, they they actually made that happen. Um, UK is kind of in the middle of implementing their their rules and regulations around uh crypto assets called the financial promotion rules is something we have to comply with now. I think we're um tying tying a few topics together. So like the the whole concept of trying to create tokens on top of Bitcoin has been something we've been trying to do for what, 2012, I think yeah. was the whole when everyone got excited about it. Yeah. Um and then you had like some of those early tokens, which was Tether and then the security token for the Bitfinex um side. And then obviously, Ethereum was funded by Bitcoiners because it needed a, a new kind of way of doing things. But the problem is, is that there wasn't ever, a, nobody has successfully managed to recreate Bitcoin despite everyone trying. Um, the only thing that emerged as a commodity that didn't have the founder known and wasn't connected to an individual with the perfect inception at a time when no one cared about speculation and price, was Bitcoin, which makes Bitcoin, Bitcoin today. And so when you see the Bitcoin ETFs today, you, you have this ecosystem of there's miners, there's node operators, there's developers. And then a bunch of people are going to, for probably tax efficiency reason, buy you know, a, a wrapper where they can buy Bitcoin as a stock. Um, And then they can put it in a retirement product, which is tax deferred, which brings in an an incredible amount of money into Bitcoin uh, because the whole concept of Bitcoin was you can own it. But when you own it, it's not the most tax efficient way of doing it. So you have an ETF, which is another way of bringing in TradFi. But where Bitcoin becomes interesting is if we're going to eventually get this whole layer and we've been trying for for decades, you know, over a decade. Uh, to try and get there and it's still not there. You know, we had these free user cases as well. We we will get there. We had stable coins a, a quick sidebar, but you know, when when we were investing in private equity, we invested in two companies. One was Exodus and one was Coinbase. When Coinbase went public, trying to distribute all of these shares when you're a private equity investor to, you know, hundreds of investors that we had and get the money around through brokers, transfer agents, There was seven different middle people to try and get these shares. Everyone takes their car. And the process ended up taking about eight months. And so in that time, the original founders were selling all their their shares on the market. The price was crashing. um, And it just took so long to get the shares to the other investors because of this highly inefficient mechanism when you're dealing with cross-border international stock transfers through so many intermediaries. Um, yeah, Exodus, they they did a a public offering and they did it all through their, their app and through their wallet and on a blockchain. And it was dead easy to just distribute everything and it happened all smoothly and on time. So the use case is there because I've experienced it firsthand. Um, but there's a massive amount of regulations in the middle and lots of things. So when you're thinking about... Here's where I think it gets interesting with doing it on top of Bitcoin. Think when we go into ETFs. So because you've got this different proof-of-work network with Bitcoin, yeah, we may get lots and lots of Bitcoin custodied with Coinbase through ETFs, um, but they won't control the network. Think about Ethereum, for example, or a proof-of-stake network. Well, when they're all in ETFs, the owner of the stake controls the network. So essentially, when Ethereum does an ETF, you're going to have these nine different providers who are all competing to control the network. And it just becomes a layer for bank because exchanges own most Ethereum right now, or the founders, they've got the free mine. Exactly. And so eventually all the ETFs and financial institutions. Now they control the network. And so, you know, you get that's a very different thing to building on top of Bitcoin, which has this property that nothing else has been able to replicate since, even if a bunch of it ends up custodied at Coinbase through an ETF. It's a beautiful thing. It's like almost the
1: Bitcoin ETF has proven why proof of stake is not sustainable in the long term because that wealth will will inherently try to amass, like like physics tells us that energy likes tries to come together, and that's what ended up you know could end up happening with an. It'll be funny to see what happens if an Ethereum ETF plays out. Enrico, I want to ask you the same question. Like you're out in Dubai, headquartered out there, what are people saying about the Bitcoin ETF in the U.S.?
2: There are several point of view, right? So Bitcoin can be like the centralized network, can be, uh, is a lot of things. One of the things that Bitcoin is, for example, is this limited number of pieces, right? So 21 million, that's it. And um, obviously when you have one of these, that uh, some of those that are uh, held by a third party, like uh, an exchange, or in this case, an ETF, it's... um, it's um, it's different, right? So you are not holding the key, right, for the, for your Bitcoin, and this as uh, might be an issue. But I don't think that everybody in the world will be able to manage Bitcoin directly because of the complexity. Because managing the key is risky. Some people not don't want to do it, and so on. So it's just an additional. Way to get access to this portion of twenty-one million shares. Right? Yeah, this is another point of view. Uh, is it, not. a it's not. A, I think people will own both. Just another
1: way of looking at that. I think people. I think it'll be a both situation. I think people will own both and play with both. and It's like own. Like if you have a gold ETF, if somehow like I inherited like a million shares of a gold ETF, I'm not going to sell it for tax reasons right but maybe i'm gonna go buy some gold because i want to play with it knowing that i own some large amount. So i feel like if have a large amount of the bitcoin etf you're going to want to own some bitcoin and just play with it and be a part of the economy just because you like you need to understand the asset that you're investing so much into no one would be like dumb enough to just put all this money into a bitcoin etf and not truly understand like what bitcoin is and you know and so uh or listen to this show simon
0: any final thoughts yeah, I do think tax is is the conversation. So yeah. I, I don't know where you are in what Are You still in US or are you? Um, but yeah. if you're in US, you know you you really need as we move to the next phase of regulations. You know everything you do on exchange, the data goes to the tax authorities. Um, every way you you engage in this ecosystem, because there's a ginormous money grab for all the tax agencies yeah. that are riddled by debt at the moment we are in the age when it was really uncertain and no one really knew how to deal with tax in the past they fixed their issues at some point and that really becomes the conversation now i think both of us leaving you know dubai and isle of man more tax efficient jurisdiction self ownership is much more preferred than giving custody to someone else because we're already in a tax efficient setup and so tax really does become one of the 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 conversations and um yeah, and the, the ability to have both just means you get to um hit you know the the different types of people, and and there is large pockets of money that can only buy shares. They wouldn't be able to self custody through their corporate structure yet. Um, I think we'll get there. Yeah, I don't even think that you know they'll they'll stick to what they know, which is a share is just everything's clear for them.
1: I appreciate you guys coming on the show today Simon Dixon from Bank to the Future Enrico Riboli from Mint Layer thanks to all the listeners please guys leave reviews and and subscribe and, and I appreciate it and have a great day thanks guys thank you